Good morning. Good morning. Wow, everybody's wide awake. Good. Let's turn to Acts chapter 23. We'll pick up where we left off last week. <clears throat> you remember that uh, they have to get Paul out of town because 40 Jews have sworn neither to eat nor drink until they've killed him. So Mr. Claudius Lysias, the commander in uh, Jerusalem, got together over 400 guys to uh, quickly escort him ultimately to the city of Caesarea up on the coast uh, north of uh, Jerusalem, not quite up to uh, Galilee, to get him to safety. Uh, We'll read the first chunk of our section this morning, beginning in verse 23, chapter 23. And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. That's nine o'clock. And provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when, he was to- when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatrice. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. As I first read uh, the section in preparation for this morning, I I found that I had about a chapter and a half of the words and actions of unsaved people. Makes it more difficult when you have that. And as I read this, I was wondering, Lord, why do you have such detail on what these guys said and did? It's unlike any other section in the book of Acts. God is faithful, by the way, whenever you're required to speak for him he always no one's nodding his head over there he's always faithful in in uh, giving you something but sometimes it takes a little longer and as i kept praying and reading the passage that's what you do even in your quiet time if you're reading and there's just not something coming do like jacob don't let go keep wrestling and i kept reading and then all of a sudden this theme came out and it just jumped out at me and i realized we have four people in the section we're going to look at and The prominent theme, are you ready, is deceit. It's very interesting. You're going to see it. Deceit. Let's talk about it a little bit before we look at the passage, deceit. Uh, It's a sin. Now, in common uh, parlance, in common terminology, it's the art of deception. You know, it's almost a good thing in some people's eyes. It's the sin of leading someone to believe something which is not true. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I know nobody here has ever done that. But we'll talk about it theoretically. To deceive with words is called what? Lying. That's right. 
And to deceive with actions is called hypocrisy. I'll confess to you, I've done both. Okay. As I thought about it, why do we deceive? Well, generally, we deceive people to mislead them, to fake them out, to get them to believe or act in a way which they might not otherwise do. We are manipulating them. We're using them, getting them to act the way we want them to. For example, we might lie to someone to escape punishment. Kids, you've never done that, have you? Never. When your mom has said, what have you been doing? You never told a little white lie, did you? Uh, uh, Or just to keep them from having a bad opinion of us. Or to make them have a good opinion of us. Or to feel sorry for us. Or to do us a favor. Or to cover something up. We could go on and on. Slander is a form of deception. To cause others to have a bad opinion of someone else. Exaggeration is often used to make a boring story into an interesting one or to more easily convince someone of the truth of a lie. Hypocrisy is presenting a false image of ourselves to others, usually with a view to be accepted by them. It is rooted in a fear of rejection. People will even violate their own consciences, that is, do things they believe to be wrong in order to be liked by their friends. Some people live their whole lives on a stage. And with time, it gets harder for them to deceive, and they end up being self-deceived. What's God's opinion of, be, of deceiving? Well, he says, for example, in Ephesians to believers, therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Proverbs 6, wonderful little passage. I love it because God lets us know six particular things that he hates in there. And it's interesting that he mentions lying twice. Two out of six. A lying tongue, and later he talks about a false witness who speaks lies. The word hypocrite actually is a transliteration of the Greek word. It looks very much like it when you see it in the Greek. Originally, in their language, uh, it comes from a word to explain or interpret. Later, it was applied to making a speech. But then, as drama became became prominent, it really uh, began to be applied to the stage. And it meant to play a part. Isn't that good? Hypocrisy. It means to play a part. Jesus, as we know, uh, really had scathing words for the Pharisees. And that was a prominent word, wasn't it? Hypocrites, he said. They were playing the part of righteous, God-fearing men. And they had a lot of people fooled. They didn't have God fooled. They thought they did. But they were sinners that were far from God. And the, and the worst thing was they were leading others de- astray by their deception, you see. We use phrases like, it's a harmless little deception. It's a little white lie. You know, we make it sound harmless. Deception is not harmless. In fact, uh, there are very few sins particularly ascribed to the devil. Murder is one. Lying and deception are both trademarks characteristics of the devil himself jesus said he's a liar and the father of lies in revelation he's described as the great dragon who deceives the whole world the antichrist uh, is identified with the devil and these characteristics when it says his works are according to the working of satan with all lying wonders 
and unrighteous deception you see the devil is working full-time to get people to believe that which is not true and he's doing a pretty good job of it with fatal results Paul talks about that in second uh, Corinthians when he talks about those who are perishing whose minds the God of this world has blinded that is through lying and deceiving lest the light of the glory of Christ should shine on them well what are the consequences of deceit and we're going to see every one of these in the passage here this morning first of all it's a sin God hates it it's it's two out of the top six in Proverbs and it earns the judgment of God you see he is truth deception is not part of him it's the opposite of the nature of god it is the nature of the devil secondly it hurts others we can do irreparable damage to other people's lives to their reputations we can lose their trust we can lose their belief in our own credibility we can lose their respect third we can become self-deceived after a while a practiced deceiver loses track of the truth himself paul warns timothy he talks about evil men and imposters who will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived interesting finally it can have fatal consequences and here i'm not so much thinking about what it can do to other people of course it can but by fooling others people think they can fake god out and they find out too late that all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him with whom we have to do that he is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts he knows that our very motives you can't fool god you can't fake him out so in each case today there are four men and when we go through it i want us to look for first of all instances of deception and you're not going to have to look far they're all over the place secondly the reason for the deception and finally the consequences so our first person is claudius lysias that's we finally find out the guy's name the commander back in jerusalem that we've been reading about and we see this letter that he writes to the governor felix in caesarea where he is sending paul with the soldiers now i want to read again the letter and listen very carefully now and see there are two clear instances of deception here in the letter see if you can pick them out listen beginning in verse 26 Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix greetings this man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them coming with the troops I rescued him having learned that he was a Roman and when I wanted to know the reason they accused him I brought him before their council I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains and when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him farewell do you see it oh michael's over here happily nodding his head what is it that's correct you get that he says at the beginning i rescued him from the crowd having discovered that he was a roman is that the way it happened no he didn't find out for quite a while later in fact not until he was about to scourge paul which is a, a criminal offense to scourge a roman isn't that interesting why did he do that why we, i said he's, he's he's deceiving he's lying why is, why is he doing that you know why yeah make it sound better yeah okay good yeah 
that's exactly right yeah you remember last week i talked about the benefits of roman citizenship one of them was you cannot be scourged that was the law if he had scourged him as a roman citizen he would have been in big trouble and uh so what he does is if you in fact if you read the letter it sounds like boy he's johnny on the spot from the get-go he was on top of everything you know did everything he could exactly right and finally came to the end of himself and couldn't do any more and now he sends him off to higher authorities really a, a a good letter the other deception was there's a great omission here he says nothing about the near scourging of paul is that interesting why well <laughs> we just said why because of what might happen to him and so with these little deceptions here he's lying he's deceiving the higher authorities number one to escape punishment and secondly to uh put himself in a good light to get make them have a good opinion of him and i'll tell you if i if, if all i knew was this letter i'd say boy this uh this guy lyceus he's on he's on the ball this guy is a good guy we ought to promote him that's what happens because of things like this people get promoted and they often get promoted to a level that they're incapable of and they can do greater damage well god says let no man think more highly of himself than he ought if he says that then certainly we shouldn't lead others to think more highly of ourselves than they ought should we well out of the four uh lyceus is the most harmless not that this is it's a sin in the sight of god okay he hates it but as far as the repercussions probably the worst thing that would happen would he be get promoted to someplace he shouldn't be but our next subject oh boy we're gonna have a field day with this guy his name is tertullus let's pick up in chapter 24 now we're in caesarea and uh, felix is waiting for paul's accusers to come from jerusalem so that he can hear what they have to say verse one now after five days ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named tertullus these gave evidence to the governor against paul and when he was called upon tertullus began his accusation saying seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight we accept it always and in all places most noble felix with all thankfulness nevertheless not to be tedious to you any further i beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us for we have found this man a plague a creator of dissension among all the jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the nazarenes he even tried to profane the temple and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law but the commander lyceus came by and with great violence took him out of our hands commanding his accusers to come to you by examining him yourself you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him and the jews also assented maintaining that these things were so let me just tell you that in this case it's easier to it's easier to talk about to find the things that are true because there's so few of them in fact here they are and i'm not sure verse four nevertheless not to be tedious to you any further i beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us well okay he's asking to be heard that's that's true and the first part of verse eight commanding his accusers to come to you that's the other the rest of it is all lies 
It's incredible. You say, well, what about that first part? Oh, uh, it turns out all this praise to Felix. He was probably the most hated governor that they had ever had. Uh, let me give you a quote. Felix's cruelty and licentiousness, coupled with his accessibility to bribes, led to a great increase of crime in Judea. To put down the zealots, he favored an even more violent sect, the Sicarii, or literally dagger men, by whose aid he contrived the murder of the high priest, Jonathan. The period of his rule was marked by internal feuds and disturbances, which he put down with severity. And that's a nice way of putting it. Guy was uh, immoral, corrupt. I mean, any word you can think of, it was him. After his rule, by the way, which was two years after this, when he got dismissed by Nero, the Jews sent uh, a group after him to Rome so they, could, so they could complain to the emperor about how bad he had been. Jonathan, the high priest that he had killed, assassinated, had been one of the few guys that stood up to him and kept confronting him with his sin and with his bad rule. So this fluff at the beginning here about what a wonderful guy he is and how thankful the Jews are is the opposite of the truth. Oh, by the way, Tertullus is a Roman name, but Tertullus is clearly a Jew because he keeps saying we, we, we. He's a Jew. But he's a hired man. He's a hired gun. You could go out and, you know, look up in the yellow pages and find orator. And the guy would, he'd know what to say in a case like this, you see, in a, in a Roman a court of law or be, before a governor. And so that fluff and, and what, why, why all of that stuff in verses, uh, pardon me, two and three about what a great guy Felix is and how thankful they are. Why would he do that? Well, he's manipulating Felix, he thinks to uh, look with favor upon his case. And if it takes lying, fine, I'll do it. He's flattering him, isn't he? Flattery is lying <laughs> to gain favor with someone. But worse, uh, if you read this and study it carefully, you find out that Tertullus, obviously with the uh, uh, previous discussion with the Jews, is trying to describe the situation so there's no way out for Paul. Because he knows what this Roman governor wants to hear uh, to want to do something to execute Paul. And the one crime, we talked about it last week, uh, about the privileges of Roman citizenship. The one big crime that the Romans were always on the lookout for, that they're always worried about, is rabble-rousers. Guys disturbing the peace, particularly in Israel. Happened all the time. You know, stirring up the multitudes, uh, causing a big ruckus, and before you know, you've got a revolution on your hands. And so they were really deaf on guys who stirred the people up. And if you notice, that's what Felix kept accusing Paul of. Did you see that? Uh, for example, he says, uh, verse 5, Paul is a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. Now, that may not be a big deal to you, but when Felix hears that, he goes, oh, man, this guy's trouble for the kingdom. You know, we can't let this guy run loose out there. By the way, uh, it, it would be treason. The crime would be. And if you remember, that was the one that you could execute a Roman citizen for treason. Interesting. They want Paul dead. And so they're working up this uh, charge 
of treason, of uh, being a rabble-rouser. He calls him a ringleader here. The, the word is, it's the only place that's used in the New Testament in verse 5. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. It's a military term. He's saying Paul is uh, like the leader of a rebel army. That's the idea. These are all lies. Now, he's covering all bases. If you look at what he says here, he, he provides for the case that just in case Felix can't bring himself to uh, charge him with treason, well, then the other uh, possibility is to get uh, Felix to release Paul to the Jews for trial. What would happen then? <laughs> we already know. They already tried to kill him twice, right? Three times, counting the guys lying in wait. And so that's the last part there. Listen to what he says. He says, um, verse 6, He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. Poor guys. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. We wanted to do it lawfully. Is that right? Were they holding a trial at the time when, when Lysias came and interrupted the things? They were killing him. He's lying. And then uh, when Lysias came with great violence, Lysias is the committer of violence here. You remember the scenes? Who were the violent ones? It was the Jews. Yeah. It, it's, it's just a, this is a whole fabric of lies, this, this whole presentation here. And so it, what uh, Tertullus and the Jews are after here, look, Felix, he's, he's, he deserves death because he's a rabble rouser, treason. And if you don't want to do that, give him to us and we'll try him. And by the way, we'll execute him. He wants Paul dead and he's doing everything he can in this deceptive speech to get it accomplished. Interestingly enough, Tertullus, what I'm sure claimed to be a good Jew, here he is flaunting the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. One of the big ten. And the whole thing is false witness against Paul. Well, we talked about the deception. We talked about the purpose. It was to get this godly man, innocent man, by the way. Paul hasn't done a thing, has he? Get him killed. That's pretty serious. Okay, a little breath of fresh air here because our third person is Paul. Uh, verse uh, 10. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered. Now listen to Paul's speech. See if you can find any lies or deception in here. Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. 
They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them. Concerning the resurrection of the dead I am being judged by you this day. Did you find any lies? You don't know? Not sure? Some people think Paul lied, huh? (laughs) Any deception? No. Everything is right on target. Even the introduction there, by the way. um, Was he flattering? No, he wasn't. That's very, did you pick that up? It's not flattery. Listen to what he says. Uh, He says, um, verse uh, 10. Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. <laughs> That's not flattery. All he's saying is, uh, you've been a judge over this country for a long time. <laughs> okay. That's not buttering up, buttering him up. And um, you notice he goes on, by the way, to address this charge of uh, insurrection of being a rebel leader over and over again. Uh, for example, in verse 12, he says, they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd. That would be a key. Felix would pick up on that, inciting to the crowd, you know, working them up to a frenzy because that's what they are implying. Paul says, they didn't find me doing that. And of course, he wasn't, was he? He was alone in the temple just going through the, the process of uh, uh, purification, a Jewish ritual. That was it. That's all it was. Um, what i find interesting here by the way paul bless his heart is faithfully witnessing to Felix. did you pick up on that he gets in and he's going to do it even more we're going to see it later when he continues to talk to felix but he slips it in here in verses 15 and 16 he says i have hope in god which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead both of the just and the unjust by the way that includes you Obviously, that's what he's implying. And then he goes on to say, this has nothing to do now uh, with the, the direct accusations. This being so, I, my, I myself also always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Do you? Uh, and I'll just give you one uh, little bit of info that you haven't heard yet about Felix. Um, later, we're going to read about his wife, Drusilla. Felix uh, had been married is uh they they got divorced drusilla was a jewess she was married to another man felix met her and got eyes for her and so he sent a sorcerer to her to persuade her to marry him and she did she didn't bother getting a divorce and so here they are she's actually married to another man but now she's also married to felix and that was pretty typical of his lifestyle and so paul knows all of this and he's really preparing the way to later witness to this guy in greater detail. Isn't that great? I mean, there could have been a great temptation here for Paul to exaggerate just a little, to, to flatter him maybe, you know, or plead for mercy. He does none of the above. Uh, this is a great verse, by the way, verse 16. Uh, one, of the, one of my first memory verses in the King James, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men wonderful principle for christians to live by 
Uh, <clears throat> the word that is translated exercise in the old King James here is strive. It's a very interesting word. This is the only place in the Bible that it occurs. And uh, it's the word we get ascetic from. Someone who uh, deprives themselves of pleasure. You know, that's an ascetic in order to appreciate the finer things of life. That's the, that's, that's the idea. But the idea here is it's, he's straining himself. He really makes a big effort to have his conscience clear before God and before men. And that's good. We should do that. Uh, I think it was last year, uh, my boys and I uh, worked for my wife. She gave us a job. It was very simple. All she wanted was this little flower bed out in front of the house. Uh, I think it was about uh, 15 feet by about two and uh, go down to a depth of about a foot and a half. Well, where I come from, we, have, uh, we don't have dirt. We have adobe. You ever tried digging in a doy's clay? But on top of that, we have these two huge sycamore trees, and the roots are like this. But they don't just go like this. They go like this. And uh, it turns out that little did we know, we should have done a sounding first. Right in the middle of this hole that we were digging, there, there were these roots that came together, and I'm not exaggerating. The thing was this big around, and you couldn't get to it to remove it. It took us half a day just to remove this big knot of root and wood. And, and then the bottom, it went down like this. Too. So you had to try to cut that off. It was terrible. And it was raining and all that mud. And, 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 and we'd get up and we'd walk around and, you know, that stuff just sticks to your shoes. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, the bottom of your shoes were like this. You're walking around, you're two inches taller, you know. And it felt really weird. You, you get the, those shoes off and you get normal shoes, you start walking and you feel really strange, you know. All of a sudden, you're shorter again. But uh, it's a good illustration, you know. We walk through this world and we get mud on our feet. Sin accumulates. And we need to regularly scrape that stuff off. That's what he's talking about here. Keep short accounts with God and with other people. When was the last time you asked somebody for forgiveness? When's the last time you prayed to God and confessed sin? You know, 1 John 1, 9 is not just for young believers. We have them memorize it when they get saved, you know? But uh, it's for everybody. It's for all of us. And he's still faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, Paul is saying that that's the case with him. He continues to address this issue of uh, inciting riots and being a rabble rouser in uh, verse 18 when he says um, they found me uh, in the temple purified in the temple and neither with a mob nor with tumult it's very important he keeps hitting that issue that they they're lying about that he's a rabble rouser because it wasn't true uh, verse 19 is true I don't know if you caught that he said they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me He's talking about the Jews, the, the Asian Jews who found him in the temple. Do you remember? It was a special group. They're the ones that should be here. And they're not even here. So technically, this is a bad court because his true accusers aren't even present. And Roman law requires that. And then finally, 20 and 21. And just the facts. Boy, he, he witnesses for the Lord and he has a clear conscience even in his speech before the man who has the power of life and death over him. Praise God. No lies, no exaggeration. 
no flattery. What's interesting to me <clears throat> is that Paul could have very well turned these accusations around on his accusers. Look back at chapter 21, and we'll just read that section again, just to refresh your memory. And imagine if Felix knew that this was really what happened, because you're going to see rabble-rousing. You're going to see stirring up the multitude just the way they're accusing Paul of doing it, but they're the ones that did it. Chapter 21, verse 26. This is when Paul is doing the uh, purification ceremony. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification. He's going in alone. They accused him of having some uh, Asians with him, some Gentiles. He did not. At which time an offering should be made for each one of them. He was going in to do this process all by himself. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, listen to this, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law in this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus and, Ephesian with, and the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. There it is. Okay, go back now to 24, 25. There's the rabble rousing. Boy, what a scene, huh? If Lycia, if uh, Felix only knew. But Paul and anybody else probably would have started pointing the finger. He just let that slide. All right, well, our last person here is the, is the real tragic figure of this whole piece. It's Felix himself. Let's uh, begin reading now in uh, verse uh, 22. Chapter 24. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. The great deceiver of the passage here, Felix, a man who is now self-deceived. And this is the danger of deception in any man's life or woman. The first uh, deception here is in verse 22. He tells Paul, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. Was Lysias coming? No? 
Lysias had done his job. He's out of the picture. He's lying. He's lying to Paul because he wants to use Paul. And we see later why, what he wants out of him. The purpose of this lie is to justify an unjust imprisonment. <clears throat> the consequence, besides the fact that uh, this went on, did you notice two years? This guy took two years out of the life of Paul. Now, God is sovereign and he uses it for his purposes. Nevertheless, that does not remove the guilt of Felix and what he did to Paul in, in removing those two years of ministry outside the walls of the Herodian palace. And I just thought of this. There's another consequence of this deceit. Imagine Paul when uh, this whole initial thing is done and it looks good to me. You know, the accusers don't have a leg to stand on. Paul goes back to his cell and he hears, okay, when Lysias comes, we'll, we'll settle this thing. He's probably thinking, oh, great. This thing's almost over. You know, I could see him uh, each day, you know, calling the guard. Is Lysias here yet? You know, are we ready to finish this thing? Day after day, hoping, waiting, you know, Felix told him when, when Lysias comes, it's all going to be settled. It was a lie. The second <clears throat> deception is verse 24 and 25. It's interesting. His wife comes with him uh, after a couple of days and they sent for Paul. I don't know. It may be being a Jew. She was interested in hearing about this Christ, the, the one called the Messiah, this Jesus. We don't know the reason, but they wanted to hear about what is called the faith in Christ. Uh, before we look at the deception, it's interesting. Did you notice what Paul talked to them about? Listen, verse 25. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, what's that? That's the bad news. <laughs> That's a lesson. When you're sharing the gospel with someone, don't let them dictate the way the conversation goes because they don't know Christ. You do. And unsafe people often want to turn the conversation where they want it to go. And usually it's the wrong way. Don't get sidetracked. You follow God and do what God wants you to do. And in this case, they want to talk about Jesus. Well, they need to hear about their sin. And so that's what Paul talks about. And what's interesting to me is the Holy Spirit was doing a work here because it says Felix was what? He was afraid. Wow. So here's another uh, manifold purpose of God that we didn't know. You know what the odds of this guy hearing the gospel were before Paul came here? Slim and none. You know? God brought Paul right into the very chambers of the Roman government. And here he is now witnessing to the guy. Basically letting him know what a sinner he is and it's working God is working on this man's heart And what is really tragic here and This it just jumps out of the page at me because i've heard people say this before Go away for now When I have a convenient time I will call for you I've heard people say that, and it's tragic. Now, uh, Felix is speaking to Paul, but he's addressing God. 
Why is he doing this deceit? He's lying. It's, it's very convenient. It's not inconvenient. He's lying because he's getting uncomfortable. He's getting fearful. Why is he afraid? He's afraid because he's a sinner and he realizes it and he knows there's consequences for that. He's, he's, he's really getting near the kingdom of God. God is bringing him near. And this man is making the fatal decision at that point when God is finally working in his heart to say, I don't want to hear it. I do not want to hear this. Let's stop talking about this. Go away and we'll talk later. Boy, he's lying. It's like uh, you might get a call from somebody that you don't want to talk to, you know, and you say, well, tell him I'm busy. That's a lie. It's deceiving, isn't it? Well, here he thinks he's deceiving God and he's not. The purpose is to escape the conviction of God. This may well be the last and only appeal from God in his life, the, the time with Paul. From the way his life ended, it's pretty clear. This, this guy died just the way he lived. So the consequence of this deceit, you think about it, is his own soul was lost forever. Uh, <clears throat> verse 26, there's more. It says, meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. By the way, if it's all, if the only thing standing between Paul's freedom and being in prison is money, what's that saying? It says Felix believes he's innocent. And if that's the case, <laughs> Paul should be a free man. The only reason he's keeping him now is because he knows about Paul. He knows he's well known. Maybe he heard about this big gift that he brought from the Gentiles over in Greece, you know. And so he's thinking, hey, there's profit here. And so uh, this is what it says, verse 26. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Imagine that, making a ruse of saying, I want to talk about the Lord with you some more, Paul. You know, I've been thinking about those things you said. Let's talk some more. Maybe the first time Paul would be, he'd be he'd probably praying for the guy, huh? He's witness to him. He's praying for that seed that's been sown. And here's uh, Felix say, I want to talk some more. Wow, praise God, you know. Little does he know, he's playing games with him. Paul would discover that very quickly. Just a little deceit, you know. He wants money. He wants to be paid off. That's the purpose. The consequence of this deceit was that he exchanged his own soul for money that he never got. That doesn't sound like a very intelligent bargain to me. Again, as I said, assuming this man never repented and it doesn't look like it from history, right now he's being tormented in Hades and he has been for 2,000 years. And it's just beginning. How he must relive these conversations, you know? Revisit them. Instant replay over and long to do them differently. It's too late. His deceit backfired. The last one is in verse 27. The deceit here is hypocrisy. He wants to appear as a good guy to the Jews, you know, good ruler. He's had this terrible reputation, you know, for his whole rule. He's on his way out now, heading back to Rome, recalled by the emperor. And it's like a last gasp, you know, to try to gain credibility with the Jews. It's hopeless. But he leaves Paul. It says, 
But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. So to look like a good God of the Jews, well, he leaves Paul in prison. The purpose of this hypocrisy was to gain favor with the Jews. The consequence, interestingly enough, was, as, as I said earlier, he completely lost face with, with them. They saw through this guy a long time ago. And when he headed to Rome, they followed him with a deputation to let the emperor know what a rotten job he'd done. He's a tragic figure. This man is well-versed in the art of deception himself. You see it, don't you? You know, he's the typical corrupt politician. He's dealt in deception and lying to get things done, to get things his own way so much that he's lost track of the truth. And the fatal thing is then when it comes to his own soul, he got self-deceived. Well, the key verses in the chapter here, then in the section, are 16. We talked about that. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. That's the jewel. That's Paul's statement. It should be ours, brothers and sisters. If there's anything right now between you and another brother and sister, man, there is no reason why you should be hesitating to get it right. Talked about that mud on the shoes says in the bible as much as it lies in you what be at peace with all men there are some cases i have not seen very many now so don't use that as an excuse but there are some where no matter what you do you can't be at peace with someone but generally speaking you'd be surprised you know particularly when you make that first effort how willing people are to get along with you and make things right haven't you found that out you know when you make the first step no, that's all right. I was really wrong. That's usually what something like what they'll say, isn't it? Well, the other when you study your Bible, uh, you've heard these phrases that you can use sometimes to look for. Look for an example to shun, an example to follow, a promise to claim something about the Lord. You've heard those before, right? Well, that was the example to follow. The example to shun is all of these guys, but particularly Felix. And the, uh, these chilling words of his in verse twenty five go away for now when i have a convenient time i will call for you maybe you're here this morning you don't know the lord and you've said something like that maybe not in words but that's what you've done behold today is the day of salvation don't put it off that's what felix did and he kept putting it off i have seen so many people now i've seen them when they were young i've been a christian now for 34 years 35 years i've seen them when they're young i've seen them grow older and they start off saying oh, later you know, I'll think about the Lord later. Right now, I got stuff to do. And I just see the time go by and their heart gets harder and harder. And you can see they're to the point now to where they can't. Listen to this warning from God. He says, beware, lest there be any man in you like Esau. Who could not find repentance, even though he sought it with tears. Man. Esau wanted to repent. It was too late. You can just see him crying those tears. He wanted so bad to repent. He couldn't do it. He could not find repentance, even though he sought it with tears. Be careful. Don't play games with God. You can't deceive him. Don't put him off. Imagine meeting someone who took out 20 bucks and spent it consistently every 20 minutes. 
an hour, 24 hours a day. It'd be a lot of money, wouldn't it? How much is your time worth? Let's say a dollar a minute. That'd be 60, 60 bucks an hour. That's not unreasonable. That's about $60 uh, $60 an hour. That's about $125,000 a year. Well, that may be a lot uh, for some of us, but you're not a rich man if you're making $125,000 a year. Okay, it's comfortable, but you're certainly not a millionaire. You're not rich. So a minute being equivalent to a dollar is a very reasonable assumption in today's world. So let's talk about these... uh, uh, dollars as if they were minutes because that's what we're doing we're spending time at the rate of 60 minutes an hour aren't we you don't have any choice each hour you spend 60 minutes whether you want to or not <laughs> be nice if you only spend 10 huh god is very gracious you know he gives every single person the same rate of pay old young rich or poor monetarily all nationalities he gives everybody 60 one minute bills to spend per hour <clears throat> he's pretty generous that's over a half a million a year in income <clears throat> for example friday midnight this last friday each one of us here was given 1440 of these dollars these minutes to spend and that time's gone each of us has now spent them the difference is not how much each of us received it's how we spent them how have you been spending your time money that god has given you let me remind you if you're let's say 15 years old you realize you've already spent nearly eight million of these dollars from him. If you're 30, you've spent 16 million. If you're 60, like me, you have spent 24 million minute dollars. Felix was a self-deceived man, as are most people. God, Jesus said that about the devil. He says he deceives the world. Are you? There are three great deceptions in this area I'm talking about. First of all, people get deceived into thinking that it is their right to receive this minute money daily. They expect it. God owes it to them. You know, they wake up in the morning. Okay, God, you give me my fourteen hundred and forty bucks today, right? It's mine. I deserve it. It's wrong. It's a deception. That time, that money, those minutes, it is a gift from him. And it is his kindness that you get a fresh supply daily. He doesn't owe you anything. Secondly, the second deception is, well, since it's my money, I can spend it however I like. My minute money. Wrong. He has given you this time money for a reason and it's to come to know the one who has so faithfully been your benefactor all these years how have you been spending his money the third and probably the biggest deception is 
is that uh, you have an unlimited supply. People live like that, don't they? You know, well, there's plenty more where that came from. They burn up 20-minute bills like $20 bills. That's the biggest deception of all. You started with a fixed amount. Now, I don't know how much it was. I don't know how much mine is. But you started with a fixed amount of time minutes from God, and he knows exactly how much it is. And it's by his grace that we don't know. You can't add to it. You can't stretch it out. When you've spent that last dollar minute, you know, you reach in and you open it up and there is one left. That's it. You can't get any more. You can't add to it. You can't stretch it out. It's interesting, isn't it, when we talk about time, how often we compare it to money. You can, you can spend time. You can save time. You can invest your time. Isn't it interesting? We recognize this. You will spend your time money from God at the rate, current rate of 60 bills a minute until it is all gone. And then you'll have no more to spend. And then when, when you spent your last dollar, you will personally meet the one who had given it to you. And you will answer for how you spent it. Felix is presented as a man who squandered every penny of time God gave him. Even when the Lord was close to getting his attention, Felix was a deceiver of others. But in the end, he was himself deceived over the only issue that mattered, his own eternal soul. It's all captured in this fatal phrase spoken to Paul, but directed toward God. Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. That time never came. Heed this warning from God. It's interesting. He says in Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will reap everlasting life. Translation, spend the time money God has given you wisely to know and serve him before it is too late. Before your supply runs out and you be left with an eternity of pain, sorrow, and regret. Eternity. The time money eternity never runs out. That's when you have an infinite supply. Think about it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we see particularly this example to shun here, Felix. A man so like many in this time today. Lord, we ask that you would help us to number our days, to redeem the time. Lord, let us not spend our time unwisely like fools, self-deceived. Lord, may we make an investment in eternity for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen.